0: Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? Welcome to Stuff
1: Mom Never Told You
2: from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey there, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Kristen, and I'm Molly. Molly, quick question. Don't even think Edward or Bill. I don't even know who those people are. What? Where have you been? Have you been under a rock? You don't have a preference for Edward Cullen? Or Bill? Bill? (laughs) Molly? All right. Evidently Molly has not um, joined in with the vampire craze. I
1: haven't. I think I'm the only one. That made research for this podcast really hard.
2: Yeah, I'm referring to Edward Cullen, the sparkly, dreamy vampire starring in the Twilight series, and Bill Suki Stackhouse's vampire lover in the Southern Vampire series that is now now uh, been turned into a show on HBO called True Blood.
1: Yeah, I do feel left out. I do feel like maybe I should get on the vampire train. Yeah. Because everywhere I turn, people are talking about how hey, vampires, they're
2: everywhere. Vampires are everywhere. And when we were asking for reading lists, I don't know how many times we got women saying, hey, yeah, I'm reading Twilight, or I'm reading the Stuky Stack House books. And they're always a little sheepish about it. Like, I'm just doing it for fun. It's just beach reading. But, you know, whatever. Apparently they're it's everywhere. Juicy. It's juicy stuff. So, we're in the midst of a vampire craze. There's this new vampire teen show. It's like Dawson's Creek with vampires, which makes me a little bit intrigued by that. Um And... Molly and I just wanted to know, why are women so attracted to vampires? Because they're undead. Like, let's
1: remember that. Thanks. That would hurt. Exactly. Yeah. A lot of reasons against
2: being attracted to vampires, but nevertheless, we are.
1: So as, I, as has become apparently clear, I do not, I do not really know much about vampires. So we had to go to an expert. Yes. And boy, did we find an expert.
2: Yes. We found... The author of the Southern Vampire series and a whole host of other novels, Charlene Harris. So we asked her,
1: why are women attracted to vampires?
0: I think that women are very attracted to the idea of someone who's been around for years and years and presumably having made love for all of those years is someone who is very talented and uh understanding about the woman's point of view when it comes to having sex.
2: Whoa, Charlene. Yeah, so Charlene thinks women are attracted to vampires because they've got hundreds of years of lovemaking yeah. under their belt, which not a
1: bad argument. Not a bad argument. I mean, they have been around for centuries, so they have had time to perfect their skills. But, I mean, do you really want a philanderer? That's true, Molly. But also, I think that we need to talk a little bit here about sexuality in these vampire tales. We were reading one criticism of the Twilight series from Ms. Magazine that criticized Twilight because Bella wants Edward so badly. She can't have him because of his vampire status. But is it a statement on how all female sexuality is dangerous?
2: Yeah, and one of the reasons why Stephanie Meyer even wrote the Twilight series was because she did want to portray this relationship of abstinence. She comes from a Mormon background, and that's one of the reasons why some parents have latched onto the book, saying that, oh, it teaches girls to abstain and it's great, but at the same time, Edward might not be the best boyfriend, even if they aren't sexually active, because he's incredibly overprotective, and at one point he even uses his vampire powers to stop her car from being working so that she can't go and hang out with her friends. He's terribly jealous. Not the best guy to
1: date, Bella. Yeah, that I mean, I can't say that I would get on Team Edward if he's going to start doing that. But, I, but I, what I've also read is that it's really not worth getting on Team Bella. Yeah, the,
2: what, that's one of the criticisms that um, Ms. Magazine article points out is that Bella has such a lack of personality that she couldn't even stand up for herself because you don't even know who she is. She has no personal identity. And Stephanie Meyer actually addressed that and said that she wanted to leave room for readers to kind of insert their own personalities into Bella. But at the same time, is it still giving girls this message to kind of restrain themselves and let this hunky alpha man covered in diamond dust, um, you know basically dictate their every move
1: right you know someone wrote in after our dating violence podcast and said this is a really bad example to set for young girls because um she has no identity outside of her attraction to these two people yeah and the whole like dangerous alpha male
2: um persona that uh, vampires seem to have is another reason why charlene harris also thinks that a lot of women are attracted to vampires for good or for
0: bad also, presumably, though, I don't know why this is so often the truth, uh, or the truth in fiction, huh, is that uh, the male vampire is an alpha male and very capable of defending a woman. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, in fact, just loves the opportunity to do so. That's the part I don't exactly buy into, as you can tell from my books.
1: But you know what's interesting about that quote, to me, Kristen, is that when you go back and look through history... They're not all, vampires are not all alpha males. In fact, if you look at the folklore that people think eventually led to vampires, they're women. Yes. Who could have thought?
2: Demon women. If we go all the way back, 4,000 years back in time to Mesopotamia, the Mesopotamians feared a vicious demon goddess named Lamastu who preyed on humans. And she would suck the blood from young men.
1: She would creep into houses at night and steal or kill babies, either in their cribs or in the womb. And then we have um, the
2: prominent figure of Lilith, um, who comes up a lot in Jewish mythology. And it, the idea is that uh, Lilith left Eden and began birthing her own children. And then when God sent three angels to send her back, she refused. And then they promised to kill um, 100 of her children every day until she returned. And in turn, Lilith vowed to destroy human children.
1: So, like Lamastu, she goes over and steals all the infants and fetuses, and while she's down there, she has sex with all the men. I mean, it's really a weird way to explain the fact that children died in those days, and they didn't know why.
2: Yeah, they were kind of these femme fatales, because they were very seductive, but at the same time, they were blood-sucking baby killers, too.
1: And now, hundreds of years later, we find them sexy.
2: Yeah, and and this vampire, female demon goddess-slash-vampire folklore, shows up in... Cultures all around the world, especially in Asian cultures, there are different varieties of these, uh, creepy goddesses who will eat your babies and bring wrath upon your families. But the real birthplace of modern day vampire folklore comes from Eastern Europe. That's where we really get the idea of, of the, the, the first seeds planted of Dracula.
1: And it starts with the same thing that those demon goddesses did, is they wanted to explain death almost. You know, they had these things called the Strigoi, who were these human spirits that had returned from the dead. And eventually uh they would be invisible for a while. They would, like, torment people by moving their furniture and stealing their food. Then they might become visible. And once they become visible, they just get all... Demanding, They want food, and they bring disease on everyone. And so that's why people died, is they thought that their dead relatives were haunting them.
2: Yeah, and if they thought that a townsperson might actually be a Strigoi, they would, and this will sound familiar, they would run spikes through their heart to kill them.
1: Yeah, and so they got to where they would dig up corpses and drive the stakes through them and bury them facing the other way. So if they tried to dig out, they would uh, crawl down and not up to up to the level.
2: And they also thought that there were living versions of the strigoi. And uh, they when babies were born with abnormalities, for instance, they would think that it was a living strigoi who would be cursed for life and would bring pestilence onto the village.
1: And speaking of, you know, a birth defect there were also these vampire diseases. So it's almost like they came up with the myth of the vampire to explain certain conditions. Mm -hmm. One is porphyria, which is a rare disease that's characterized by irregularities in the production of the pigment in blood. So you would be really sensitive to sunlight. Um, You might be delirious. And one possible treatment that they came up with, these people, since they had these deficiencies in their bloodstream, was to drink human blood. Doesn't that sound familiar?
2: Yeah, and then um, another... Uh, dis- disorder that they've linked to vampirism is something called catalepsy. And it's this peculiar physical condition associated with epilepsy um, that affects the central nervous system. And during a catalep- cataleptic episode, a person basically freezes up and their muscles become rigid and the heart rate and respiration slow down. So they're thinking that some of these people would go into a cataleptic fit and basically look like they were dead, and then come back. Mm-hmm. And they would think that they would be the Strigoi, and so they would then get a stake through their heart.
1: So what we have so far, according to these folk legends, are um, explanations for why babies die, mm-hmm. why people have these weird diseases they didn't understand because they didn't have modern medicine, and just bad things happening. So it starts off very negative, and yet somehow now we're attracted to these people. Yeah. But... It all goes back to old Bram Stoker, who takes all these legends that he's heard and creates sort of the rules of being a vampire. Yeah. That stakes are involved, that drinking blood is involved. They don't have any reflection. Right. So he makes all these rules. And we were reading a lot of arguments as to why vampires persist in our popular culture today. And one argument that was made by Christopher Beam of Slate is that every vampire author can rewrite the rules. They're very adaptable to any sort of situation you can throw them in. Yeah, he
2: made an interesting comparison between vampires and zombies. He was saying it's so easy to rewrite the rules of vampires because unlike zombies who can't speak, vampires can simply explain, as Edward, C- Edward Cullen does, like when Bella goes over to his house the first time and she's like, well, your house is really nice. And he's like, well, what did you expect, Bella? We don't have <laughs> coffins around here. He, you know, vampires can explain why the rules are different. And that's one of the things that Charlene Harris said was really fun about writing the world of the Suki Stack House books because she was able to pull in whatever kind of vampire elements she wanted and then make up her own sort of rules.
0: Uh I created what I needed to get to get my my picture across. I had a picture in my mind of the world that Suki lived in and of course the world the vampire rules had to conform to that uh since they're such powerful creatures physically uh, they had there had to be a system of checks and balances to hold them in place, otherwise, there wouldn't be any point in trying to in their desire to integrate into the human race if they were uh all powerful, then humans would turn on them and do everything they could to annihilate them mm-hmm. so they had to have uh some weaknesses or some proclivities that would that would lead to them being controllable in the human point of view. They can't go out in the daytime. That's a huge check because that means humans do have a time they can hunt them down and kill them. Uh, they also had to uh, find something else to eat because otherwise humans are just food. So I had to develop the alternate food source and that kind of led to everything else.
1: So most of the rules that these writers like Charlene Harris are reacting against are the ones set out by Bram Stoker. And Dracula is when we start to see the sexy vampire.
2: Yes, um, when he's portrayed by Bela Lugosi, the hung- Hungarian actor, in the movie version in the 1930s, he portrays Dracula as just this very suave guy, very cool. He's got the he's wearing like the evening wear with a cape. Dapper? Yes, he's a dapper, dapper vampire. And I think that's where we really get this popular idea of, you know, the, the sex symbol that is the vampire.
1: Gotcha. And also, from what I understand, the scenes where he bites his victims are very seductive. And, you know, when you are bitten by a vampire, you have eternal youth. You become a vampire yourself. Yeah. So, I mean, in a culture that is obsessed with youth, many people have said, it's possible that that's why we all want to be bitten by vampires. It's better than Botox. Well, Molly, one interesting thing,
2: though, about this whole idea of sexuality and vampires, if you go back to Carmilla, which is a gothic novella about a female vampire named Carmilla that came out before Dracula, it also had a lot of sexual undertones um, between Carmilla and the woman who she would come and visit. Huh. So that was spicy even back then. Yeah. But somehow, instead of the spicy
1: female vampire, we have the Edward Cullens. We have a lot of male vampires preying on these young, virginal women. And I think that women kind of eat it up because it is sort of this seductive bad boy thing. I mean, everyone's got a little bit of a bad boy fetish.
2: And I say, too, there's also, you know, a lot of women know that um when you go for a bad boy, it's probably not going to end up anywhere in the long run. But it's going to be a whole lot of fun while it lasts. For instance, I think that the relationship between Suki and Bill is so intense and dramatic because you know that she shouldn't be fraternizing with a vampire, but he's so, so
1: appealing. Well, it's so different than anything else she can have. Yeah. Yeah. Her problem slash gift is that she can read every other male's thoughts and here is something unknown. The yeah. unknown of a bad boy. So we asked Charlene Harris about that.
0: Uh, in the Suki books, he does find someone to love, and because she can't read his mind, but it also baffles and frustrates her that she never knows what he's thinking. So, uh, it's a her, her gift is a two edged sword. She's used to using it all the time with vampires, she can't use it, and she finds that both relaxing and frustrating. But,
1: Kristen, no conversation about women and vampires is complete without a discussion of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Yes. And when we were researching this, we realized just how much feminists love Buffy. Yeah, Buffy is basically the exact opposite
2: of Bella Swan. seems like she um, has sex not only with Angel, but with some other fellas as well. So that's not, you know, there's not that
1: dangerous, you know, no, I want to, but no, no. And there's also no, I'm going to give over my whole life to a male when I'm in high school vibe. Yeah, she's a vampire slayer. So she does not let her emotions get in the way of doing a job. Some feminists think that she's a good role model because she
2: really reinvents this idea of, you know, a masculine warrior and embodies it as a strong female killing these vampires. Having a little romance on the
1: side. As opposed to the characters today, which are a bit more like, hey, there's a vampire, I'm going to wait till he notices me. Yeah, it's all about the romance. It's all focused on when the vampire is going to pay
2: attention. Is Bill going to talk to Suki? Is Bella going to get Edward's
1: attention? But you know what? As Buffy put it, we should just kill them. them I mean, she, she didn't put that that way. But, you know, that's sort of the attitude she has towards them. And that's why it's so unconventional turning those gender roles around to be like, you know, I, I don't need you to make me young forever, and I don't need you to save my life. I need to kill you. It's my job.
2: Yeah, but I can see the appeal of vampires and the whole eternal youth thing, um, you know, because... I don't know. It's it's something, it's something different for our, our mundane lives. I mean, meeting someone covered in diamond dust, I mean, I'd at least want to hang out for a little while.
1: I don't want someone who's more sparkly than I am. Or what about Bill, though? He's been
2: around for a long time, fought in the Civil War. He knows a lot of history. Molly, you like history. I do,
1: but I also don't like dental problems. Yeah, I don't fang know. If, marks. I don't really know if I want the fangs around. Plus, I just like, you know, like we've been saying, I just don't know if I see myself in these characters. And so that's what we asked Charlene Harris about, is about how she views her own female characters in these books.
0: It's it's kind of scary to think people are taking lessons uh, <laughs> from my characters because obviously they're fictional. But I do hope I give them something to admire. I, I think there's something good in, in all my characters. I hope that... that maybe the the message I'm giving is that you can get through almost anything if you have your your bedrock character there um if you're if you try hard if you're optimistic if you're persistent um if you try to do the right thing I hope that should. that the fact that all the women are survivors is is a message in itself,
2: so I think it's really good that Charlene Harris really does take the time to think about um the, pr- portraying these stronger women. Because at first, like, you, you do see a definite character development in Suki from kind of being a little more, um, timid to really coming into her own throughout the series. Whereas with Bella, it seems like it's all just a progression towards when she can finally marry the man of her dreams and then have sex and have a baby.
1: A vampire baby. A vampire baby. And then he just got Buffy off on the side, just kicking some, taking some names. <laughs> yeah. So I'm more than willing to hear everyone's emails about how ignorant I am of vampire culture and the things I need to catch up on. But before we wrap up this podcast, as long as we had Charlene Harris on the phone, we wanted to ask her uh, some other questions that we thought might be interesting to our listeners. First off, she's got a new book and we asked her about that. It's called Grave Secret and it features the character Harper Connolly.
0: Well, if you like the style of of my writing, then then I think you would like maybe like to follow me over uh, into the Harper Connolly books, which only have a very small supernatural element uh, and no vampires. <laughs> if, if you just read Sookie for the vampires, Harper's not the book for you. But if you enjoy um, mysteries with a little touch of the supernatural, uh, check out Harper because she's a very interesting person.
2: And even though, Molly, uh, Charlene Harris is known for the Southern Vampire series, she has written so much. She's a prolific author. She's written over 30 novels. And the one thing I wanted to know was just how did she do it? Because she was also a wife and a mother and writing all of these novels. So we asked her that, too.
0: You know, it's not easy. I, I think like any working mom, I've had times where it just seemed impossible to balance uh the job with the kids. Uh, luckily for me, writing is a job I can do at home, so now that, uh, at first I used to have my kids go to a babysitter's uh, a few mornings a week, and then of course they started school, which solved you know so many problems, but the summer was always a problem, too, mm-hmm. so I would have to pay a sitter to come in. Uh, three or four or five mornings a week, whatever I could afford so I could work. And boy, did I work. I mean, when I went over to my office, I didn't mess around with emails or anything else. I went over there and I worked.
1: And lastly, Kristen, the reason that we knew that so many of our listeners love Charlene Harris and her books uh, was because of the big reading list experiment. And we still love seeing everyone's reading lists, but we couldn't let Charlene go without asking for
0: hers. So many books. I think we're so lucky now to have so many excellent writers to read. If you're talking paranormal, um, I love Janine Frost. She's fabulous. And, of course, Patricia Briggs is the best. Uh, Kim Harrison, Kelly Armstrong. They're pretty much standards in the field. Um, I'm reading a book now by Faith Hunter, and I'm really enjoying that. Uh, Rosemary and Rue by Seanan McGuire. It's a new book, and it's super. And so
2: if you have a reading list or any thoughts or ideas about vampires, do you prefer Edward? Do you prefer Bill? Could you really just not care either way and you're tired of vampires already? Send us an email and let us know your thoughts. Our email
1: address is momstuff at HowStuffWorks.com Let's wrap up with a listener email from Anne who wrote in to pose um, her opinion to Kristen. To me. Are you ready Kristen? I'm ready. I'm going to read this read it to you to and you respond. Read to me Molly. Could you please, please, please stop acting or being embarrassed about your experience as a person who is homeschooled when you do your podcast? All you are doing is feeding the negative stereotypes surrounding homeschooling, and it's not doing justice to those of us who are homeschooling our children or to the children being homeschooled. You're simply perpetuating the idea that homeschooling is somehow less than normal. Millions of children are homeschooled every year in the United States alone, and they face enough judgment from those who are ignorant about the whys and wherefores behind homeschooling. That's truly maddening for me to listen to the podcast and hear you take a, yeah, I know, I'm such a dork tone every time you bring it up. Especially since the facts, as I see it, are these. One, you, Kristen, are an intelligent woman. I can tell this because you have a writing and research-heavy job that you've managed to keep for quite a while now. Yes, Kristen has been here for almost two years. Almost two? Number two. You have a good sense of humor. I agree with that, Kristen. You do. Aw,
2: oh, thank you, Molly.
1: Number three, you appear to be capable of making friends, judging by your relationship with your co-host and references made to other people in your life. Oh, I won't make a comment on that one.
2: <laughs> I do have friends. They're on the you do. page.
1: And you have a good relationship with your co-host. Sorry, that was just a joke, and it was wrong. And continues. Since the main judgments made by non-homeschoolers about homeschoolers is that they won't learn or make friends properly, you seem to me to be living proof that homeschooling not only works, but is a perfectly normal and justifiable educational choice for parents to make for their children. Perhaps as penance, you could do a podcast covering the reasons why so many moms are opting to take their children out of public education and teach them at home. Thanks, Anne, homeschooling mom of two brilliant little girls who is always looking for more homeschool role models for her kids. So, Kristen, I mean, she's right. You have friends. You're funny. You've got this great podcast. Check, check, check.
2: (laughs) Let's do more letters like these.
1: Why Why all the drama about homeschooling? Well, Molly, I will say that I completely agree
2: with Anne that homeschooling is an effective educational tool. When I transitioned from being homeschooled to going to private high school, I had... Very few problems. Uh, there was no learning curve that I had to overcome from, you know, not not being taught well at all. Thank you, Mom. She gave me a wonderful homeschool education. And I certainly hope that the humorous take that I, uh, you know, the humorous references that I make to my homeschool past are not misinterpreted as um, me, you know, Discouraging people from homeschooling. I think that everyone who has been homeschooled at some time, I, you know, I have actually have a fair number of friends who were homeschooled at some point and we usually do make joking references to it because of the the stereotypes she pointed to. You know, when I was homeschooled, there were odd looks when I would be out in public at, you know, 11 a.m. on a Tuesday. and, and, you know, simply because it's not the quote-unquote norm for kids, even though a lot of people do it. But were there humorous and odd things about it at times, looking back on it? Absolutely. And uh, the thing about me calling myself a dork, well, Molly, I mean, you know me. I'm just kind of a dork. And I was a dork when I went to private high school. I was a dork in college.
1: And I'm a proud dork still today. So we don't mean to associate your dorkiness, which I don't even see, Kristen. Oh,
2: Molly, thank you. Yeah. This is just a this is a pump-up. <laughs> Love it.
1: And I think that maybe we make jokes about homeschooling and dorkiness together, but it's more, I think, we bring up your homeschooling so that you and I can talk about the different ways we approach certain issues. Yeah. I, mean, I think I do
2: bring, we do bring different perspectives because of, our, because of our backgrounds, different backgrounds.
1: So I think that that's good for... But I think that knowing that someone will have a different perspective is good for any homeschooling mom to know. Yeah. Just as moms who send their kids to high school should know that they're going to come home some days and be traumatized absolutely so there's no right way to do it i think that's really one of the big points of our podcast in general is that for every woman every man choices are different you got to make your choices the best you know how and live with them choose your choice and once again let me let me emphasize mom
2: thanks for my great homeschooling education
1: Well, on that note, if you have something to say about anything we ever talk about, please email us at momstuff at howstuffworks.com. Please check out our blog. We write an article about how to do something every day. It's called How To Stuff. And if you want to read an excellent article about how vampires work, it's got all that mythology that we were talking about earlier, check out how vampires work at howstuffworks.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics,
2: visit howstuffworks.com. Want more How Stuff works? Check
0: out our blogs on the HowStuffWorks.com homepage. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you?